As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, June 22nd. On this episode, we discuss the Reds, the red-hot Cincinnati Reds, winners of 11 consecutive games as we enter play on Thursday. We'll talk about the Cubs still hanging around in the NL Central and what is likely to happen with this division in the weeks and months ahead. We'll talk about the Twins offense, some flaws in Minnesota's game planning, perhaps, or something in that roster construction they've underachieved so far. We'll dig into why that might be the case. And if you haven't noticed, the NL West standings look a little weird. So we'll probably talk about that at some point during this episode as well. But the big story around the league right now, the Reds, 11 straight wins they have had uh this is their longest winning streak since 1957 and their last loss was june 9th against the cardinals they've only lost twice since ellie de la cruz got promoted from triple a so this team has been on fire and we have discussed the various concerns as they bring up position player prospects about how this depth chart is going to get crowded but the big question is Will the Reds have enough pitching? If this young talent comes up, gels, and starts to do the things that it's done in recent weeks, will the pitching be good enough for them to win even a weaker division and be a legitimately dangerous team come October if they actually make it to the postseason? So, you know, I just wanted to get your assessment first of this Reds pitching staff and possible help they might have on the horizon in this organization. Yeah, it's tough because if if you if I could tell you, yes, they've got Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo and Andrew Abbott and uh, you know, there's a, a young kid in double A who's who's killing it right now, Connor Phillips. Let's just put him in at four, right? Let's that's our four, and they're healthy and they're going and they're doing about as as well as you'd expect. I'd say, man, this is actually a team to be reckoned with. You know, because I really have a lot of respect for Hunter Green. He's throws like, you know, 99 miles an hour, strikes everybody out. I know there's some flaws, but like that's a good place to start. Nick Lodolo, really nice breaking ball, uh, has had some good results. Um, Andrew Abbott, really nice breaking ball, a little bit more command than Lodolo. Um, So far, so good with him. Uh, Connor Phillips looks like he's uh, had some command problems in the past, has kind of cut those this year in the minors. If, if, like, I could see that being a division-winning staff. Hunter Green is hurt. <laughs> Nick Lodolo is hurt. Uh, Connor Phillips is in the minor leagues. Uh, and Andrew Abbott has been performing pretty well uh, in terms of ERA. But uh, if you look at his strikeouts minus walks, it's league average. So there's a chance that he's closer to league average than he is to being the number two that they they kind of need. Right now, they even need a number one because Hunter Green's hurt. So, uh, you know, and that's and it's not like, woe is the Reds. It's just that's the reality of baseball is that you never can be like, oh, yes, our number one's going to be our number one and our number two is going to be our number two. You know, like it never works out that way. And they just don't really have the pitching depth to be like, oh, yeah. If Hunter Green is out for a month and a half and Lodolo looks like he's not coming back till August, they're like, oh, well, we've got these two guys we're going to call up. They're not like the Guardians who just like 
They just, just like, oh, and another one. Oh, and another one. Oh, and Gavin Williams and Tanner Bybee and Logan Allen. Uh, so that's, I think, ultimately where the Reds uh, surge, which has been really fun to watch and it has a lot to do with that amazing infield right now. I think it'll come up short a little bit. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the big question then, Britt, is, you know, can they take some of the prospects that we haven't seen debut yet and send them elsewhere to get pitching help? We've talked about this for almost uh, probably a month and a half now. Who's actually trading pitching away with so many teams being in contention for playoff spots thanks to weakened centrals and, and the wild cards being expanded last year? I think having more playoff spots has really kind of messed up what the trade deadline used to be. It really has. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the show started, but I agree with a lot of what Eno said. I mean, the the pitching right now is a dam that's going to burst at some point, it feels like. I mean, they're scoring over six runs a game during this 11-game winning streak. That's not sustainable over the course of uh, the rest of the season. So at some point, a bullpen, which has been pretty good in covering for the starters, someone's either going to get hurt or... They're a little bit gassed. Yeah, exactly. They're just going to be under... Right. Somebody is going to be, you know, come up hurt or they're just going to, as a group, be kind of like, hey, we're overworked. We can't keep this up. You know, uh, the reason why they call this a hot stretch, because you can't play at this level the entire season. You can't play at this level really for longer than a couple days, which is why it makes this so incredible to think about that the big red machine teams never had a win streak this long that we're seeing right now from the Cincinnati oh, Reds. Impressive. But yeah, but Derek, as you said, the problem in my book is now the trade deadline because you added these extra playoff spots. So theoretically, there's like three or four teams that have no business being in it at all, right? We know who they are. You know, the Oaklands and the Rockies and the Nationals. Then there's a whole bunch of teams that really should have no business upgrading at all at the deadline. The White Sox and the Tigers and you know, probably the Pittsburgh Pirates I would put in that boat after really a successful start to the season. But mathematically, they're kind of in it. And all it takes is a hot week for front offices to feel the pressure and go, oh, oh, we should do something, right? Uh, we saw it from the Pirates a few years ago. You know, I think it was the last year of Neil Huntington when he kind of caved and, and they were able to kind of make a move. And then that team went like two or three games over 500 and did nothing. So there's a danger now in these expanded playoffs and the pressure it puts on these front offices. And if you're the Reds and you feel like this is the start of our window, you know, maybe, you know, whether people think it's legitimate or not, maybe the front office has determined, you know, this is it. Here we go. We're going to, you know, we're going to make some moves without mortgaging our future. You got to be really careful here because there aren't that many teams that are out there and saying, hey, we're open for business. Let's go fire sale here. And so I wonder if MLB now with the expanded playoffs would consider moving that trade deadline, maybe to mid-August to give teams just a little bit longer to say, hey, we're in it or hey, we're not in it at all just because of what those extra playoff spots do now. There are a lot of mediocre teams that are still in it, which was the whole point of adding these playoff spots, but it creates an extra wrinkle when you're looking at the buyers and sellers. It's not as black and white as it used to be. Yeah, things will change, of course, between now and, and August 1st, but I think we're going to learn a lot about the Reds in particular during this span. They they took care of business in what was a very easy stretch of schedule having both the Rockies and the Royals, right? Sweeping those two teams. They had a much more difficult series with the Astros, but that was an Astros team without Joran Alvarez, so that task wasn't as tall as it ordinarily is. You can only play the games that are on the schedule, but things are going to get tougher from here. They've got three at home against Atlanta, three on the road against Baltimore, three at home against San Diego, which the Padres are going to be desperate for a week or so from now. An easier stretch of four on the road in D.C. Then they go at Milwaukee for three going into the break, go back home to Cincinnati after the break for three more against the Brewers, four against the Giants, three against the Diamondbacks, three more against the Brewers, and three more against the Dodgers before you get to their series against the Cubs that will overlap the trade deadline. There's one easy series in that entire run of schedule. So this pitching, which hasn't been very good during this run, is going to be, I would assume, exposed by higher quality lineups. That's going to happen. And this bullpen... Alexis Diaz is having a fantastic season. 
How many other Reds relievers do you really like with a game on the line? This is a below average bullpen by K minus BB percentage as a group. I don't think it's a deep bullpen. Maybe you could talk yourself into Buck two or Farmer, three guys. Lucas Sims. I like so, those. Ian Jabot. So, it's okay. Those guys so, are all right. So the A bullpen is okay, but like a typical team that needs to make upgrades, they the won't depth claw is their way back in with the, the B bullpen necessarily. And with the, the absences they have in the rotation, that depth will be tested a lot more too. So I think this upcoming stretch is going to give us a much clearer indication of this version of the Reds and how good they really are than what this 11-game winning streak has taught us. Yeah. Guys, who had the Orioles-Reds late June series circled on their calendar in spring as a big matchup? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Crazy, right? Uh, yeah. This is what's fun about baseball. It's... You know, it's it's going to be really interesting to watch. And, and you're right, Derek, and they're not going to sustain this pace. But what they have to really try to avoid is becoming the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? Where they start really hot and then all of a sudden they go through this really bad stretch. If they just go through a stretch for their 500 because of their division, it will be OK. We're slightly over 500, right? Um, they just have to avoid we won 11 in a row and then we lost nine of 10. <laughs> Right. I think that's kind of the goal here if you're looking at the Reds, because they do have holes and they do have issues. But momentum is a real thing in baseball. And I thought Joey Votto's press conference when he came back was so enlightening on so many levels. But him talking about the energy those guys are playing with and what the young players have done. And I'm I'm certain, you know, Ellie De La Cruz is probably a huge part of this, but just infusing that team with this kind of energy and momentum and watching that guy play. Um, I think you can see a little bit of a, of a ripple effect. And, and that's really an intangible that's tough to, to kind of look at the metrics for. A lot of these teams in the central, they lack that spark or they lack that, that sort of that identity right now. Some of it's because of injuries. The Cubs are a weird team. They're eight and two in their last 10. And I think if the reds weren't winning as much as they were winning, we might be talking more about the Cubs right now, but they're still two below 500. And when I look up and down at that Cubs roster, they look about as league average as a team can be, right? They have some questions in their rotation. Their bullpen is probably a little deeper than Cincinnati's if you were comparing them that way. Their lineup, it's okay. It's not a bad lineup, but it's not a lineup you really fear as a group. And you look at Milwaukee, they've had injury issues all season that we've talked about. The Pirates have fallen. And the Cardinals, some of us are still waiting for them to wake up and, and fix it. And they're, they're still in last. They're 13 below 500. So maybe that run just isn't coming from this Cardinals team this year. Maybe they're a team that says, we've got a bunch of pitchers on the brink of free agency. The whole league needs pitching. Let's move some of these guys and try to get some future value and start looking ahead to next year. Maybe that's where they're going to be You know, once we get to that deadline six weeks from now. But at least the Reds seem like they are figuring some things out, kind of identifying like this young core as the guys they're going to build around. Matt McClain's been really good since he came up. De La Cruz has been great so far. Spencer Steer's been underrated. Like, he's been real solid from start to finish so far this year. It's ironic, though. I think this, you know, this was on the rundown. We were talking about this before the show, but, uh, you know, they could use a starter uh, because of what we were talking about earlier and uh, every team's in it. Uh, I looked, just looked, and there's a 7% chance of a 500 team having a 10 game winning streak. So that's actually not that low of a percentage chance. And if you think about that, there's a lot of teams that are a 10-game win streak from being 500. And those are the teams you were talking about, like the White Sox. They win 10 games. They're basically at 500, you know. So there's a lot of these teams, the Mariners, like all these teams that like they could just rattle off a 10-game win streak. It wouldn't be that uh, unlikely. And they'd be back in it. And those teams will not necessarily sell right away. And they may not even sell at the deadline. So there's like... Very few names that are available. It's Shane Beaver, maybe. I just went on radio in Cleveland and they were still asking about how to improve for this year. And I was like, okay. So, they, you know, like, that's true. Like, uh, if you want to trade Shane Beaver, you want to trade it for a bat that's like ready to plug into the Major League lineup right now and make them better this year. So there's Shane Beaver, maybe, and Lucas Gilito, maybe. Uh, and that's about it for, you know, uh, top-end uh, starting rotation help that in this in. Bieber's velo is down. Like, do you really want to uh, take Bieber out of that park in Cleveland and put him into that park in Cincinnati with his strikeout rate the way it is right now and with uh, his velo the way it is right now? So, a lot, a lot of questions and not that much, uh, not that many answers. But hilariously, the two major guys that they have bats that are ready to to get to the major leagues, Christian Encarnacion Strand and Noel V Marte, 
they got in trades where they traded away pitching. Wouldn't it be nice if they had Luis Castillo? You know, <laughs> wouldn't it be nice? Would should they trade Christian in a Carnation stand? For Sonny Gray, like just this, like undo the Tyler Matley trade. So, like, um, you know, I think that they were doing, they were like doing the 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 normal rebuild booklet. You know, the normal rebuild, like trade everybody, trade all the pitching away, get bats. It made sense at the time, but that rebuild came together really quickly, and now they're like, ooh, now we need pitching, and nobody's going to give us pitching. So uh, they're kind of stuck, uh, you know. I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll go get uh, a journeyman like a Trevor Williams, just to you know uh, to have like kind of a warm body to to put in there to to help the the, the rotation be okay and just uh, help him. You know, hey Trevor, if you can go out there and give us give up four runs in six innings, we can still win this game. Yeah, they can out hit some of their back end pitching. I guess if, if it just becomes a matter of having enough innings on the roster and then getting yourself to the point where you know, Green and hopefully Lodolo are both healthy. Green's injury doesn't seem nearly as severe. Lodolo's in the 60-day IL right now with the, a stress reaction in his tibia, so he's probably not coming back until at least August. So it seems like it's a little bit more difficult to rely on him for a high volume of innings later this year. But you could also talk yourself into Graham Ashcraft coming back and maybe being more effective than he's been so far. It's still rounding up in a lot of spots. And I think the other thing about the the Reds is we had a question about TJ Friedel on rates and barrels. You have guys like TJ Friedel and, and Will Benson and Nick Senzel playing a lot, Jake Fraley. I know you've got a great infield. You also may want to turn an infielder into an outfielder via trade, not necessarily by position switch. You might want to get an upgrade within that position group too. That should be much easier than finding pitching midseason, which so many teams are desperate for. I think the other angle here is that you have to consider pitchers that just simply do not look good on the surface and making some kind of mid-season tweak. Easier to do it in the offseason when you got the benefit of more time on your side, but can you dig into a truly horrific rotation and come away with a quality starter if you go into Kansas City or Colorado and say, hey, look, I know it hasn't worked here with these pitches but if we make these quick adjustments maybe we can get better results is that a path you think teams are going to have to take because of the very limited number of higher quality pitchers that are going to be available that's tough to do though like patrick corbin with the nationals like what happened to that guy right Mm -hmm. uh if you could figure out how to you know how he can kind of revert to the guy he used to be when he would live and die and really set pitches up off that slider sure but I think for a lot of those, a lot of these teams, you also have to wonder, like Corbin as an example, the team has to take on money, right? So I know the Reds, I think I saw where the Reds said, like, you know, payroll isn't a problem right now. Well, that's because you stripped the team <laughs> yeah, down right, there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can add $5 to your $10 payroll. Uh, like, you know, um, <laughs> I, I like this idea, I mean? though, uh, you know, because I heard uh, and I don't I don't want to name names um, without, you know, really confirming it. But um, I heard a, a, a recent story about a pitcher who was saying that, like, you know, my fastball, uh, you know, has ride, good ride, plays up in the zone. But uh, the manager of my team uh, told me not to throw it high in the zone uh, because we need to be more efficient and not waste pitches trying to get strikeouts. Uh, which A is not good because I don't think the manager should be the pitching coach. Uh, mm-hmm. And B is doesn't seem like good advice for someone with a high ride fastball. And w- this pitcher is on one of those teams where you'd be like, I don't know if their pitching coaching is that good. So what I would take if I was the Reds and be like, I would put one analyst and be like, hey, look through these pi- these teams that we think the pitching coaching isn't that good. And just look at every starter and be like, what if this guy stopped throwing his changeup. You know, what if this guy threw this? Or what if this guy threw this a lot more, you know? And see if there's an easy tweak and we could get someone that wouldn't cost us that much. We try the tweak. And worst case scenario, they are, you know, a back-end guy for us. Yeah, so you have, you know, those types of players that you could go after. I think the other thing we may see, this is 100% speculation, but if you're a team that's not going to contend next year either, which certainly describes the Nationals, that's a longer-term rebuild. And you have players that have several years of control, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore. I don't think you should necessarily hold on to those guys for the entirety of your rebuild. I think if there is a shortage of pitching available and you have guys that are going to be available for multiple years, the quality of the return you're going to get via trade is also better. And you should be compelled to say, you know what, 
we'll find some veterans to backfill these spots next year, and that's fine. And we'll kind of do what the Reds did. We'll get position players. We'll load up on those for the future, and we'll come around later and find pitching, or we'll get younger pitching and develop those guys over the next two years. That That's a completely viable strategy as well. But I wonder how many teams are willing to actually trade young pitching, knowing that they're creating a future problem. Yeah, the Nats are not going to do that. Maybe in the bullpen, though. I think with Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey are interesting arms, and they're three-year yes. three-year deals. Like, you know, you get the rest but of the But Hunter here. Harvey wasn't a guy that they trade. I mean, you're talking about guys that they gave up, like, Max Scherzer right. and Juan this Soto is our and return. Trey Turner for. This is our return. Yeah, yeah, like you just can't then flip it and say, well, like, yeah, okay, Hunter Harvey, sure, he's not really there. Right? He's a guy that claimed off of waivers from the Orioles right. who never really reached his potential because he was hurt all the time. Yeah. Different scenario. Kyle Finnegan, similar kind of thing, right? Um, these aren't guys that they held up to the fan base like shiny objects and said, hey, look who we got. These are the guys we're going to center the rebuild around and then flip them at the deadline like a year and a half, two years down the road, I don't see that happening. The Nationals don't believe, at least outwardly, that they're that far away. <laughs> I mean, make the case all you want that that's insane, uh, but they don't. And you look at the way they started the season, and people were kind of like, wow, are we turning the corner here? And then, you know, of course, the train went off the tracks. Uh, but I don't think they would be able to sell any kind of hope whatsoever if they took their rebuilding guys and flipped them again. I'd be like, what is this, the perennial rebuild? Mm. You know, it's not a bad idea for some of the secondary guys in the bullpen. But yeah, like Lane Thomas, there's a lot of guys that can move off the Nats, but I don't see those like main core young guys move off the Nats because also keep in mind that organization has struggled to develop at all. So for them to have a hole of pitching would take years to try to rebuild. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Is there anything else unconventional? I mean, the Mets being a disaster, having Scherzer and Verlander, like that could that could open up some some conversations if they if they want to just trade move. those guys. Yeah, neither of them have been very good. First off, so if you're, I think if you're a team, you're like, we want these guys. Why? And it's a fair How? amount of money on both, right? Although yeah. Scherzer mm-hmm. might be is he closer than near the end, but uh, the state deal. He's in year two of three. Yeah, still, a, it's still a big money deal. It's like, okay, we $35 million dollars for next year too? Okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for a guy who like hasn't like shown signs of kind of breaking through and getting back to where he was. I, I was trying to put James Paxton on the list of available arms, and maybe maybe he will be, but the Red Sox are three games above 500, and if we're going to talk about this sort of 10-game win streak idea, like, you know, a 10-game win streak put them, puts them second in the division, you know? <laughs> so, like. Yeah. Ah, but a 10-game losing streak sends them right to the seller's group. <laughs> it's the problem with the expanded playoffs, and this is the issue that a lot of the players had when they agreed to it, was that mediocrity would be rewarded, and kind of what you're seeing, right? Is It's like, well, yeah, like these like, how teams long are... are the White Sox going to hold on to this team? They, the White Sox yeah. could really shift the balance of power in any division. Yeah. You know, they've, there's a lot of relievers on that team. You know, yeah. you could make the case for trading Eloy, if you wanted to get a nice return, you know, in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, years of contract left, age, where they are, you know, you could, there are some nice players on that team that could really help other teams. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure they're going to do it. Like, I'm not even sure they're going to they sell. The Cardinals too. The Cardinals have a talented team that they could just totally dismantle. But in the division they're in, would you do that? Especially not since like next year, they just probably have. And actually uh, your piece. I, you know, how impossible would it be for the Cardinals to get back in at this year? Not not that impossible at all. A hot week and they're all of a sudden right. They're closer to the division 
than the wild card to give you an idea yeah, how bad the division sure. is. Mm. So all they need, and you guys inspired me because we were talking last show about all the like the expected win loss, and I'm like, actually, the Cardinals aren't that bad. What did you have their expected uh, win loss in that? The Pythagorean as uh, basically 500, 37, 38 or something? Yeah, like right around 500, right around what the Reds are. The only team with a positive run differential in that division is the Cubs. Mm -hmm. It's surprising, isn't it? So that whole, that, and again, all you have to do is look at Atlanta in 21, who was under 500 in August, to say, hey, why are we going to just. You know, why not just hold and see what happens? Especially, again, if you have a talented, the Cardinals have a lot of talented guys. It's not like you're looking at a team that you're like, well, like the the Tigers may have a hot week. And it's like, all right, we, we know who we are, right? I think you're the Cardinals. You're like, why would we tear it down? Let's go. Let's go all in here. Wayne Wright's at his end. We've got Arenado. We've got Goldschmidt. Like, you have a talented team. Why trade Nupar and Tommy Edmond? Like, why? If you have a chance at the division. Yeah, I think they still strike me as a team. The Cardinals are more more likely to make smaller tweaks and just see what happens. And that might mean moving away from expiring contracts or if you want to alleviate some of the crowding on their depth chart, you say, oh, maybe we're one too many in the outfield. We're going to move an outfielder. Okay, like that's yeah. fine. You can live with that. That's not, a, that's not a tear down. Or something like that, you know, yeah. that works. There's also bad luck happening in St. Louis. Like I I looked at this, they're number two in the big leagues in hard hit rate. So they're hitting more balls over 95 miles an hour than 28 of the teams. The only team that hits the ball harder is Atlanta. And so they hit the ball hard. They barrel the ball among the top 10. You know, most of the the most offensive things, they're top 10. And yet they're like 12th and run scored. Like, I think there's some disconnect between what they're doing on the field. Like Wilson Contreras to me is really obviously a guy, you know, right now he's in the top, he's in the top 50 in barrel rate. I looked at the top 50 in barrel rate and averaged how good they are. They're all 20% better than league average. He's 20% worse than league average. So like there's a guy, you know, who's, and, and it's fair. I'm, it's fair that he's, you know, had a hard year because he's had a lot of people yelling at him about different things, you know, and like, you know, he never was the uh, Yachty. He never was the, the defensive catcher, you know, that Yachty was. And so a little bit unfair expectations on him. Uh, but offensively, you could see how you might take that to the field and, 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 and struggle. Yet underneath the hood, he's doing a lot better than his results. That's sort of yeah. indicative of the team at, at large on the offensive end. Now on the pitching end, I don't think that they're uh, they're under uh, under playing. I don't think that they're nope. you know no. I don't think they're any better than they they've shown. Uh, but you know if the offense slugs their way, that's sort of what they did uh, for a little bit in May, right? They slugged their way to victories. If their offense can slug their way, you know, back to five hundred. Uh, then you maybe could convince uh, you know as a GM you could be convinced to go get a starter. I think the surprising thing for me with the Cardinals is that they have a minus 25 defensive run save total right now. The only yeah. team that's worse is Oakland at like a minus 38. So they're tied for 28th. Usually the first thing you think about after you look at maybe the Cardinals lineup is, hey, they're a great defensive team. They save themselves a lot of runs. They make their pitching play up. And, you know, I think we talked about it earlier in the year as something that, yeah, you know, with the new rules, the restrictions on shifts, teams that don't miss bats are going to be punished. But this seems like more than just that happening to the Cardinals on the defensive side. Yeah, and it, it you know it's something that's true across. Uh, you know, I'm looking at outs above average from from Savant, 21st and outs above average, um, and this year, um, and you know I think that's you know some of it, very small part of it is a change in personnel, um, and because last year they were uh, they were fourth and outs above average, which supposedly takes away this positioning aspect and and looks at where the fielder starts and how far he has to run to get it, and you know tries to take the shifting part out of it. Um, so you know some part of it is a uh, change in personnel. You've got big defensive downgrades at three positions. It's weird, yeah. I mean, Jordan Walker being new to the outfield, he's a minus 10 between right field and left field. Brendan Donovan's a minus 4 while playing second base. O'Neal, when he's been in center, is a minus 2. He's not really a center fielder. He's more of a corner guy. Wilson Contreras does have a minus 3 behind the plate. So it's Tommy Edmonds playing a lot of short when he's probably better at second. Yeah, it's unusual. 
I believe the Padres are the only team with more errors than they have this season, which is another team you look at and you don't think like defensive liabilities everywhere, but that's, you know, at least both of these teams have underperformed. So you guys are right. Maybe there's even more emphasis now with, you know, the new rules on you, know, you, you got to be able to make the some points. weird stuff right. that happened at the wrong time with the rules. Yeah. It's like bad timing yeah. or bad foresight, foresight, you know, it's like maybe both. Probably a combination of both to get results that have changed this much. It's just something you don't expect to see from this Cardinals team. Let's go to the AL Central for a bit. The Twins offense is flawed. And the big question is, can it be fixed? Because the thing that's really surprised me, going back to the offseason, a team that finally had Miguel Sano out of its plans, brought in Joey Gallo. And I realize Gallo offers a lot more defensive versatility and value but they have such similar offensive profiles that they, they, they finally get away from it and they bring it right back in from the left side. And you start looking up and down this team and say, why do they strike out so much? Trevor Larnack's been playing a lot because of injuries. He's got a lot of swing and miss. I think it's a little strange to see Byron Buxton still striking out 30% of the time. I thought that was going to come down to the mid-20% range. Even Correa striking out more than we're accustomed to. Royce Lewis over 30% in his first 17 games back off a second ACL tear. I wouldn't look at that and say, that's who Royce Lewis is. But all of these things combined with each other are problematic. And it makes me wonder, is it a philosophy for the organization? Is it game planning? Is it a willingness to you know, maybe trade some whiffs to try and do damage? They're fourth in barrel rate, but 16th in WRC+. plus. When you do damage like that, it should be really good. It should be rewarded. And something is just a little bit askew with how the Twins offense is functioning right now. So are better days ahead for this Twins group? Because I like this group of position players. I'm surprised they're underperforming. I thought they were the best team in the division by a mile just like three weeks ago. And they are making me look like a fool right now. They're still leading that division, though that division is just it's under 500. Amazing. Very gross. Brutal. No, I thought Ken had Rosenthal had a really great note about all this that, like, it's not really clear who to blame. Is it for their underperformance? Is it Paco Baldelli? Is it the front office? Is it the hitting coach? Like, it just feels like it's just very unclear, yeah. I guess, like, how to solve this. It's not like one or two guys not performing. But, I mean, they're in first place, and I feel like if not for all these other underperforming teams, we'd probably have talked about them more. We don't talk about them at all. We've spent all our time talking about the Padres and the Mets, and, you know. We would be talking about them as underperformers, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a, you know, I think there's an organizational philosophy that's at play for sure. Like, they are first in strikeout rate in baseball, and they are fourth in barrel rate. They were always among the league leaders in launch angle and barrel rate. And so they're a team that goes and gets the ball. They want to hit the, the ball hard. They want to pull fly balls. They want to put the ball in the air. They're a barrel rate team. And, you know, usually that works well, but it is actually associated with strikeout rate. In fact, something like bat speed is is negatively associated with whiffs. So like the higher your bat speed, the more you whiff in the zone. So there are relationships here where going for power like that can increase your strikeout rate. I mean, it's worked for them in the past. And you'd think that some of this is some underperformance of guys like Royce Lewis and Carlos Correa are not supposed to strike out a lot. You know, and so if you built this team, you would you might be saying, okay, yes, Buxton's going to strike out a lot. Larnick's going to strike out a lot. But Correa's not really going to, and Royce isn't really going to, so we're going to have a nice mix. Arias might have been a little bit of a key to this, where Arias, Luis Arias, <laughs> keeps the lineup moving, right? He's the kind of, you know, batting average juice in the slugging percentage, you know, soup that they have going, you know? Like, you know, maybe they do miss him a little bit. Um, and then the, the, flip, the flip side for me, though, uh, is, uh, you know, from Minnesota, um, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't think it's as fundamental a problem or a thing. Okay, Cleveland is the opposite. This is where their front office came from. That's, it's so strange to see how different they have built their respective offenses. Right. And so it, uh, in Cleveland, it seems like they're like contact above everything. You know, we want contact. And I wonder if they're like, okay, we start with contact and sometimes we get Jose Ramirez, sometimes we get Francisco Lindor, and sometimes we get Stephen Kwan. And all those guys are pretty good outcomes. Except what they've gotten is a lot of Stephen Kwan part two instead of part one. And they are, you know, they're the opposite of Minnesota right now. 
Yeah. They, but that doesn't really work doesn't either. Work either. <laughs> they don't strike out. They don't <laughs> hit for power. And it's like, oh, man, if I could just take Minnesota and Cleveland and just squish it together, whoo, what a team I'd have, you know? But, yeah. uh, but which one of those is like a total philosophy which, you know, pervades their whole organization and has shown to be flawed? Or which one of those it just looks that way now because certain things have worked out. You know what I mean? A lot of this comes back to it's a long season, right? If you think of every week of the baseball season or every series as a hand of poker, you can have a series of bad beats. You can have a bunch of big wins and things look really good for a little while and your chip stack goes way up. Things look really bad and you're low. And then it, it all sort of at the end, the end looks a lot different than it did at any point when you took a snapshot along the way. The twins have the opposite problem of a lot of the teams we've talked about where their pitchers rank first in K minus BB percentage, something that I pointed out a couple Fridays ago. They still Super have powerful. that lead. It's a great group of pitchers, good starters, good relievers. It's like all you have to do is strike out less and you On might get more mileage side. out of everybody. And they've they've had injuries, but not an absurd number of injuries. But also some bad luck. Like Juan Miranda was Jose Miranda was supposed to be the guy who didn't strike out. Yeah, he was supposed to be one of those guys. I mean, Jorge Polanco being hurt is probably more important to that lineup than Jorge a lot of people Polanco realize. Is supposed to be a guy who is doesn't strike out. Is Buxton hurt too, or he's not playing the field? Just not, or just not playing the field. Just, just and DH. that means more K's because Michael Taylor actually strikes out more than Buxton. I mean, they right. both strike out a lot, but like it's still more when Michael Taylor's out there. It's more than if Buxton was in center. Nick Gordon was supposed to strike out uh, uh, not that much, you know. You know, so they have guys that are not supposed to strike out as much that have been hurt or not played or striking out more. Cause Cray is not supposed to strike out 25% of the time. And yet he is. Yeah. So like, I, I kind of think that if you're talking about a flawed plan to begin with, I think it's almost more flawed in Cleveland because they just don't have that many power. They don't have like a lot of power hitters who are not hitting for power. Whereas yeah. Minnesota has more contact guys that are not hitting for contact. I'm not waffling off of Minnesota as a result of some, some pretty rough stretches here the last couple of weeks. The other thing that's surprising is a guy like Max Kepler. He's been in Minnesota his entire career, 18% K rate for his career. Last year was down below 15%. He's striking out 23.1% of the time. What is happening? Like You have guys that ordinarily don't strike out a lot who are striking out a lot on top of the guys that you brought in who you knew would do that, doing what they usually do, and you're just not getting the results. Like Yes, where to point the finger, I don't know. I think it's a little bit like the San Diego problem in some ways where you say, you know what? We believe in this group. Figure it out. Like this is a good enough team, especially in this division to get there. And they've got enough talent there where I'll stand by it, even though it looks a lot worse now than when I said it the first time. This is a much more dangerous Minnesota team. Doesn't look like it right now. A much more dangerous Minnesota team than we've seen in recent postseasons past. If they figure it out and get there, they're not the team that gets swept by the Yankees they or, have better or swept by an Ailey's team. Sure. Yes, they will hold their own better. Certainly not the Yankees right now. Sure, yeah. but like normally it's the Yankees that bully the Twins in the postseason. This year it might be the Rays or the Rangers or someone else. Yeah. But I think the Twins could actually, if the roster stays healthy, still be a dangerous playoff team. It, it sounds absurd, but I really believe it. You, the last time we, we covered this division, I think you both took the Twins and I took the Guardians. Sounds vaguely familiar. I, yeah, I think I'm so. I'm a little closer to waffling. I just, you know, this uh, that Cleveland offense. I don't. I know that Naylor's going to play better, and I know that they they pulled up uh, the other Naylor, um, and so they're trying to to get some offense in there. But I I'm not sure that I see enough offense in this. It's it strikes me as not enough offense to 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 make it work. Are we overlooking the Twins as a team that now that Kenta Maeda is coming back, you know, you have one more starter there. You run the risk of cutting it too thin because of injury histories for Gray could you put and the, Lopez pull the and Maeda. Jordan Montgomery, Harrison Bader type trade? Yes. Could they? Is there a trade like that? Louis Varlin maybe is someone that you take and, and flip to someone else because he people would be interested in Louis Varlin. Like that's that's a good trade for a team that. Needs what position it. would you like to most upgrade? Center. It doesn't sound like Buxton. I saw the comments from Rocco Baldelli. I don't think Buxton's playing center field. Again. One thought I had was that they're trying to save him for later in yeah. the year. Something I don't think they're knees. doing that. Yeah. I'm wondering if his knees are just far more damaged than anyone's letting on, just based on the usage now. I thought it was a, a well-conceived plan to say, 
We're taking wear and tear off his legs in the first half of the season. He'll play some center field in the second half. And by September, he's in center field every day again because that's the best version of our team. And we just want him to be healthy for that. And I don't think that's what's happening. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, what's unfortunate, though, is you ever looked at the numbers when that guy's like playing and not playing? It's it's insane. You can make the case that there's nobody as important to a team as that guy. Um, so I don't know. How much does that factor in? If you if you think this guy is not going to play the field for us, how much does that hurt Minnesota's chances? It's not horrible, but it's it's not great because great defensive play in center field without taking the, the downside of the flaws of Michael Taylor is, is a it's a good thing to have if you have it. I think they did about as well as you could finding a player that can do a lot of the same things that you can put at the bottom of the lineup. It's not offensive. Right. They're not they're not yes. sacrificing yes. defense and center field as much as most other teams would have doing what they did. So I, I don't think it was a Correct. totally flawed plan here. The Gallo thing is the most surprising. And yeah, maybe they do miss Luis Arias a little bit, but they're a fascinating team come deadline time because they might be among the teams that can contend move pitching depth and still just keep it all together for this year. And people seem so angry about the twins right now. And I think it's because if you have a team, if you root for a team in a central right now, you look at the rest of the teams that you're up against. You're like, how are we not in control of this division right now? This is our opportunity. This is our chance. This is our easy path into October. And all you have to do is get there and you can win a title. I think that's where so much of the (laughs) <laughs> the animosity comes from across the central fan bases right now is believing that your team is better than all the other teams, even if you're in last place right now, with the exception of the Royals on the AL side. I don't think Royals fans believe their team is better than any team in the league other than Oakland right now. Sad, but true. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We have uh, we got one more topic we're going to get to. The NL West standings, they just look weird in part because the Giants have Crazy. been on fire just like the Reds. I know the Giants get a lot of attention on this pod on a pretty regular basis, but seeing the Padres in fourth, the Dodgers in third, like the, these things have happened and they, they look bizarre. And Brit, we talked about the Padres probably about a month or so ago, and our general takeaway was, hey, look, this this team is just too talented to continue playing like this. Are there signs of things getting better? I know Juan Soto has looked much more like himself over the last six or seven weeks than he did back in April, but is there anything else that's been going right for the Padres that makes you believe they can still you know, rally and, and chase down the teams ahead of them in the NL West? Well, I mean, I think Tatis has really shown you what he can do. And what's crazy is that you move that guy to a new position and uh, he just continues to do things that reminds you why he was once one of the most exciting young players in baseball. So uh, I think that certainly has been a plus for them. Listen, they've played better. It's been overshadowed by the fact that the Giants have won 10 in a row as we record this and that Arizona is atop the division. But Um, You can make the case that the Dodgers, as of late, have been the most disappointing team in that division with the way that they've played over the last couple of weeks. So I think you look at this division still, I do, as wide open, because I know Arizona has been 
you know, this kind of cool feel good story, but they don't have the starting pitching as we've talked about. It's going to be really tough to upgrade outside of those two top guys. It drops off dramatically. So they're going to have to upgrade their pitching to stay in it in, in my mind. So I think you're looking at a case where yes, Arizona is the team to beat, but these four teams minus Colorado all have a chance to overtake uh, them for the top spot. Are the Dodgers going to continue to be one of the worst bullpens in baseball? There's no way. Like you're going to see these teams move forward. You're going to see things like San Diego won seven of 10 at one point. And, you know, I think you're seeing signs from teams that like, okay, it's time to go. Uh, but to me, this is the most fascinating division in a good way. Like the centrals are fascinating in like a, Oh God, awful, uh, way. This is like a fun, like all these teams are good. The giants have won 10 games in a row to get back into it. Arizona is still hanging on and probably Dodgers fans are upset because they're not used to looking at the standings and seeing their team in third place. So, and, and Padres fans, you know, all year they've been sold this, we're going to win the world series. And they've kind of done what the Mets have done, which is just enough to make you think they're going to go on a run. And then all of a sudden they flatline, right? That's kind of been the story of their season. But I do think Tatis has been a huge bright spot. I do think Soto has certainly, when you look at, at some of the, the, the numbers with Soto, he's been better as of late. He's getting back to being Juan Soto again. Does he regret not taking that deal? I think that's a discussion for another podcast, but David Ortiz had some great comment about that, that like, Hey, listen, what can you not buy with 440 million that you can buy with 500 million? I thought that was an excellent quote, but I think this division is so wide open guys getting back to Derek's original question. I think the Padres have a chance. I think every team has a chance. All it takes again, this, this is boring and it doesn't get clicks, but baseball is a sport of, well, it's a long season. Every time you talk to a player, they're like, Long season, long season, you know, and we have to kind of take these weak instruments and analyze them. And what do they mean? The truth is they don't mean anything. We kind of have to wait, wait and see. I mean, this NL West division, we could be in mid-September and still not have a clue who's going to win this division. And I think that is what's really exciting. Projected right now on full season for the full season on Fangraphs, 89 wins for the Dodgers, 89 wins for the Diamondbacks, 88 wins for the Giants and 84 wins for the Padres. And I think a good week from the Padres uh, shoves that number upwards, and all of a sudden, they're all at 88. So, you know, I think the it's... Uh, in fact, the Padres have the best rest-of-season winning percentage projected uh, in, in the division on Fangraphs. So, um, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I've also been watching them a lot. The uh, there's uh, The kids are, are Padres fans. Um, and, uh, uh, that, I think that I blame, I blame their grandmother. Um, and, uh, uh, so we've been watching a lot of the, the, also came to town and I think, you know, one of the things that's so sad about a walk-off loss is you were super close. And if things had gone any other different way in that game, like one little thing could have been a victory. And you really saw it last night when there was a controversial call that I have watched a bunch of times and I still don't understand how the catcher was blocking anything. Uh, I think that 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 rule needs to be looked at because Jonah Heim also didn't understand the other night in Texas what he was blocking in the base path. And, um, you know, you've I think they've taken it too far in a way. Like, I, I do not think, I, I think that the collisions at the plate did lead to injury and were concussions and were not great for baseball. Um, but now we've gotten to the point where, like, you, like, the catcher can't even be close to you, you know? <laughs> like, so there, I think the catcher needs a little bit more power in where he can receive that ball. Um, because otherwise, what, what, you're going to have him, he has to receive it on the grass and then run to home plate, you know? Um, so, you know, what happens in that situation is that would have been the third out of the inning. It would have been, uh, 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 it would have been a tight game. Instead, the giants go on to score two more runs after that. And it all sorts of fall, falls apart. And that lends, that ends up in a walk-off loss. So, um, you know, a walk-off walk, no less. So, uh, you know, really a lot of things could have gone, uh, just a tiny bit different in the last games against, uh, against the giants. The Giants uh, also, though, you know, I think one of the reasons this doesn't make sense is you look at the teams on paper and you say the Giants are the worst team not named the Rockies in this division. 
they have flaws up the middle. They, you know, are there young guys ready yet? Are these guys any good? Is that pitching staff really any good? And I think they're kind of raising, 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 like they're doing the Tampa Bay Rays playbook in a lot of ways. I hate bullpen games. They keep winning their bullpen games. They've made Shamanaya and Ross Stripling into bulk relievers. Uh, they they platoon everywhere. They you know they're getting more out of their young guys than you'd expect. It really feels kind of Tampa Bay Rays, um, and they're really overperforming their roster. But in terms of the run differential, it's the best in the division. So they've found a way to like really focus on you know they they coach the crap out of J D Davis. They just coach the crap out of him. Like I I was talking to J D Davis and his and his defensive coaches. That guy, everybody said was a future DH. He is now the starting third baseman and the defensive numbers say he's fine. And the stuff that they told me and the stuff he tells me is like, yeah, I was hopping too late and I was landing as the pitch was in the hitting zone. And I really should be landing like a half second later, you know, as the pitch is leaving, as the pitch is being hit. And I was like, that's crazy talk. What are you talking about? You know, and they had, to, they had to explain to me that if you're in the air when the ball is hit, when you land, you can be moving towards where the ball is hit to. Like, if you jump up in the air and I tell you go left, as you're landing, you can be going left. You could, sh- you could start shifting really? your weight faster than if you're flat-footed. Is that yes. the, the thinking? And so they, were, they looked at him and they said, you know what, J.D. Davis has been kind of flat-footed with the Mets. And the Mets said, well, you got to get going defensively earlier because you're bad defensively. So you got to get going earlier. Great and coaching. The, Phenomenal. And San Francisco was like, no, no, no. You need to hop later because we want you in the air later. Uh, in any case, he always had the strong arm. And they looked at the strong arm and said, well, we can't. The, coaching the strong arm is, not, is harder. We can coach the hops or whatever. And so, you know, that, that's just a little insight into like why they have 15 coaches on the field. And they seem to play better than, 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 they, than they're supposed to. It's pretty wild when you look at what they have done so far this season. We use WRC Plus all the time just to get a good catch-all view of offensive value. The Giants have 10 players on this roster right now who are better than league average by WRC Plus. Could you, na- could you name them, Britt? Could I name the guys who are better the, than the league 10, average? There's 10, 10 of them. Giants that are better than league average. Oh, God. Here. You guys know I'm horrible. Also, you don't see the things. Giants. I mean, I'm not, I'm not putting no. you on the spot like that. Okay, I'm yeah, just yeah, saying, yeah, like, I can't, I, can, I think. My, well, Mike Estremski's got to be one. There we go. Mike Estremski, there's one. Two gut punches between the Padres and the uh, Cardinals. Uh-huh. He's got to be one. Guys who are above average uh-huh. on that Ten team? Of them. Ten of them. <laughs> There's ten of them. You would, you just wouldn't assume ten. Like you'd assume three. Should four. I just go through their roster? Because I mean, yeah, you're yeah, good. Just name a player. I, mean, I didn't, like, I didn't the, mean to put you on the spot. I just meant like, no, no, you're to fine. somebody I, who's like sort no, of doesn't right. see them see a lot. Them you're like, you're like, I, I don't. don't know who. who. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like top to bottom. A lot of this is using players in the right way, mixing and matching with platoons. Jock Peterson right? never sees a lefty, you know. Right, Jock doesn't see lefties. Austin Wait, Slater is, is only he, sees. Is he lefties. one of the ten? Because yeah. that would be so surprising. Jock's yes, doing it again. Forty-two percent better than league average right now, which is crazy. Yeah, you're getting that. I mean, the the defensive thing for JD Davis alone, like this is a guy that you got as basically a throw-in at the trade deadline. It wasn't. He's thirty-two percent better than league average. Patrick Bailey right out of the shoot has been great. I think both here's the question I have about the Giants and there's no answer to this right now. It's with Patrick Bailey, uh, Casey Schmidt, we've seen this too with the younger guys and having sort of questionable plate skills right now or at least having to adjust to big league pitching. What does their performance look like? How do you kind of move those guys along in a way that doesn't make them liabilities at the plate? Defensively, they might both offer enough value where you say it's fine. They're learning and they're not going to be above league average, but they're going to be good defenders gonna, up the middle. I'm going to pull up this Giants. Uh, I'm going to pull up this Giants roster and come up with these ten players. The now. answer has been line them up seven, eight, nine in the lineup. Because they are actually good defenders. They're younger. You're more. You're better defender when you're younger. You know, Casey Schmidt was an elite defender that they moved over to short and said, "Hey, you are a shortstop." You know, Luis Matos, center fielder, Patrick Bailey, good defensive catcher. So basically, you say, "Hey, we're going to line you up seven, eight, nine. You are the quote unquote offensive holes in our lineup, which they haven't actually been. But what I'm saying is, you, we're not depending on you for offense. You know, we're putting you in the back." We're depending on you to play your defense well, like play your position well, 
and get some timely hits sometimes. And that's how it's worked out. I can't believe that this there's this many guys that are playing. <laughs> Lamont <laughs> Wade Jr. Austin Come Slater. On, Where do they even yeah. find these people? <laughs> Weavers, <laughs> Sable, trades. Rule five right, though, pick. I don't watch them much at all. I mean, if I'm going to watch a West Coast game, it's almost always the Padres. Or the Dodgers. Or the Dodgers. Or, Otani. or the Angels. Yeah, Otani. Yeah. I, ne- I, you know, I just never, I never see them unless they're over here. Yeah, I, I think um, the, because they don't have that star-studded allure where you're like, oh, I'm not a fan of them, but let me watch and see. I don't what know what doing, you're talking right? about. Lamont Wade Jr. Um, is a star. Star Mike Yastrzemski. I mean, that, I remember that guy was an Oriole. Uh, you know, just. I uh, mean, Mike Yastrzemski is a waiver pick. Tyra Estrada is a tiny trade. J.D. Davis is a tiny trade. Lamont Wade Jr. was either a waiver pick or a tiny trade. You know, Jock Peterson was a one-year free agent. I mean, they, they every single opportunity to make a move is an opportunity to get better, though. And that's clearly how I mean, t- teams know this and try to operate by this. But some teams do it really, really well. And we're seeing that the, the Farhan Zaidi led giants have thrived in that particular area. They have other issues. They have other weaknesses, but their strengths are on the margins for sure. They manage that 40 man roster as well as any team in the league does right now. And I can't tell you, I love relievers. I love talking to relievers. They are the best source of quotes in the game. They are funny as heck. They live <laughs> They live a life that is a difficult one, and I don't want to take anything away from them, except I hate bullpen games. And I think the Giants are something like, you know, eight and two in bullpen games or something, and it just bothers the crap out of me. <laughs> I, I know that in order to use openers and to have bullpen games and to do it right, it takes the right combinations of personnel, players, Which they've options. Done, you know, we'll get Manaya as a bulk guy, Stripling as a bulk guy, Jake Junis as a bulk guy. They have three bulk guys in their bullpen or rotation or whatever. So if this is a solution to every other, if most of the other teams in the league are having a problem finding back end starters and the Giants are saying, let's use the numbers between zero and five. And let pitchers throw that many There's innings. There's a good idea for the Reds. Go get Brady Singer. Yeah. And he throws three innings. Sure. He's it's gonna be he's not that far from cheaper. Jake Junis. He's a sinker slider guy. Instead of getting into the the rat race for the few really good six inning starters, look what the teams that are creating. What could Brad Keller do if you just limited him for two two to three innings? Yeah. I don't know, but you guys are probably not watching this Arizona Nats game. I've got it on down here. Davey Martinez went nuts like not too long ago. Uh, they, I just showed the, I just saw the, um, the playback. He laid down on the plate to show how bad the call yes. got ejected. Yes. <laughs> this is the second. Like, he also brought you know, a like, picture of the, of the, uh, yes. the play to the running the, to first. The baseline, yeah. yeah, against Houston. They lost. That was a terrible call, but they've had bad calls. You know, I think people are like, eh, these teams don't care. Like, very, very into this nas- this last place Nationals team. Davey has gotten fiery twice now in the last, <laughs> what, like, week or so? Nothing to uh, lose, I guess. They've had a lot of cl- <laughs> no, they've had a lot of close calls go against them, and this is a pretty epic. I encourage you guys to look it up. This is a pretty <laughs> epic <laughs> What was he trying to demonstrate? How far out the pitch was or something? Like where it was. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Yeah, this is a team that four oh years God. ago won the World Series. And I bet after you win a World Series, going that far below 500 four years in a row is not fun. Yeah. That probably is actually terrible. And I would hate it. How does that feel? Like as a manager, yes, you won the World Series in 2019. You've not had a winning percentage above 433 in the season since then. You know, the one thing that's nice about that that's different than because the Oakland, I've got experience with the Oakland thing, right? And Oakland this year is different because of the like moving and stuff. And that's another level of sort of sadness that's pervasive and really sucky. But in the years where Oakland was like, they're like, well, we're only two or three years away. Because Oakland, that was true for Oakland for a long time. It used to be, yeah. You know, just like, well, this is one of the bad years, but hey, look, we, we found this guy. And we found this guy and that guy looks pretty good. So you just focus on the good things. You're like, well, Gore looks pretty good. Gray's been better since he's, you know, with the cutter and, you know, we're finding guys. But uh, I would have to say that in that in Washington, the the finding guys part has not been as is. I don't know how many guys they found this year. No, which is why I like to dare like to Derek's point earlier. They can't trade away those guys that they traded for because the they, they're not finding and developing guys. They need these like. Can't miss ready right now, big league guys. 
Davey's go. This is a great. I'm going to send you guys this. I mean, he's literally laying down on the plate, like showing like a catcher would um, just to show how off the call was against Arizona. It's a makeup game. It's just a one gamer against Arizona. But uh, yeah, those teams, it's tough to be like, how do you think Mark Kotze gets up and gets ready for every game? I don't know. It's just tough. It's it's got to be brutal right now. I I just think about how when the A's gallows humor is how you do it. (laughs) When the A's used to make trades like this, you're right. You know, it didn't take several years for them to put it back together. But look at the Matt Chapman trade. We're now 15 months away. That was March 16th of 2022. Gunnar Hoagland, Zach Logue, Kevin Smith, and Kirby Sneed. I know Hoagland was hurt. At the time they made the trade, coming off Tommy John surgery, former first rounder, like ton, tons of ceiling. What an awful return getting those guys back for Matt Chapman. Like just a series of mistakes like that just puts I mean, they you so far so behind. many guys and the really their best return so far is J.P. Sears. Yeah, I mean the Matt Olson trade, do you, do, you, do you feel good about the return on the Matt Olson trade now that we're further away from that? I don't think you... Shea's a decent catcher. Pache's already gone. Like, they didn't even stick with him that long to see if they could get him to hit. Yeah. Yeah, Shea Langoliers looks okay, but you got you got one player back that you're gonna one use. One sort of like, you know, bottom half like starting everyday catcher and a probably a number three starter. That's what you got for all those trades. Brutal. Just brutal. All right. We're going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find Britt at Britt underscore Giroli. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of The 3-0 Show. We're back with you on Friday. Always got the green light here. Green light 3-0 and she's going.